different places. But anyway, I encourage people to check it out on our YouTube channel or to check it out on our Facebook page if you can't get them here. But it's even better if they can be here. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33 says this. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. I really am going to preach on that next week. Pray for me. Uh, next section. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is also to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. I want to make an argument to you this morning. I want to put out a thesis. My thesis for this sermon is this. God's design for marriage is still a good thing. Y'all should have amen that. I'm going to give you another chance at it because I know we're early and we're just barely getting into the sermon. I'll we'll try that again. God's design for marriage is still a good thing. Amen. All right. Well, see, if I think you're getting it, I do a shorter sermon. If I think you're not getting it, I go longer. So if you want to get out of here on time, you better work with me. That's just what I'm saying this morning. My wife and I, my wife is seated back there, so I have to be better in this service than I was in, in the last one. Um, but my wife and I have been married now for 15 years. There we are. Wow. That, that was a long time ago. Hey, who put that down at the bottom? Such a lucky woman. I can't believe anybody put that. That's terrible. That's terrible. Our wedding, actually, my wife and I were married, like it says, 15 years ago. Our wedding was actually the first worship service in this building. Uh, the first uh, actual Sunday morning service was the Sunday after we were married on Saturday. Yes, I do consider a wedding a worship service. So we were the first ones married in this building. My mom and dad were actually the first ones married in the old building. And so God put all that stuff together and had no idea that I would be the pastor here someday. But that's actually the picture of us as we sit out bright-eyed and dreaming and just thinking that everything was going to just flow along and work so easy. And boy, we were so wrong. <laughs> Marriage is not always easy. Ephesians 5.31 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That one flesh, if you look at the Greek there, it reflects the idea of a completed person. A completed person. The idea is this. In the garden, Adam was a complete person, but in a way he was incomplete because he was alone. And God looked down at his good creation, and he had declared it good and good and good and very good once he made man. But he looked down and he said, there's one problem here in this garden. And the problem is that Adam has nobody that's suitable to be a helper to him, to be somebody who comes alongside of him. So what God actually did was put Adam into a sleep. And, and the Hebrew kind of reflects the idea of a rib, but it could actually be translated from his side. But anyway, God took a part of Adam. And he actually split Adam in two, in two different individuals. Now you have Adam and you have Eve. So Adam, who was a whole complete person, has now been split into two. And he is completed once again when he's reunited or when he's united with his wife. So the idea of marriage is really one, uh, one complete person who's been split in two as far as it goes back to the beginning, back into Genesis, and all that being put back together. And so literally when one flesh... Coming together, man and wife, means that the person has become a completed person. Both man and wife are now one completed person. Adam was a whole person by himself, but he was not fully completed or perfected until he was united with Eve. Remember the old movie a few years ago? I probably, probably 
worship, worship, and anyway, you complete me. Do you remember that? Remember that line? And, and what was it, Jerry Maguire or something like that? Well, Adam was completed by Eve. And so I'm sure some wife man, in the back of the, the, the building here this morning just looked at her husband and said, Oh, that's so sweet, honey. See, I complete you. But the problem is becoming one flesh is not that easy. It's tough stuff. We have different thoughts. We have different ideas. We have different backgrounds. We have different desires in life. And so two becoming one is not so easy. It's just a finger snapping and everything just flows together. I kind of thought that when I, when I was, uh, when, when my wife and I were going into marriage, I was saved at eight years old. I'd been walking with Jesus for a while. My wife was saved when she was 12 years old. Both grew up in two-parent households. Both went to church our entire lives. Both had seen models of what marriage should look like with our parents. I thought, this will be easy. But it was not always easy because marriage is fundamentally tough. I would say if you've got trouble in your marriage, you're just pretty much a normal couple. Pretty much a normal couple. It's pretty much you're going to have that. I think maybe there's 5% out there, maybe 5% of married couples, it's just like everything flows and everything is easy and there's not a lot of fighting and there's not a lot of arguing. It's just, you know, easy for them. But I think 95% of us, the rest of us, it's tough for us. It's not easy to make things work. Some people just get lucky, but then there may be other areas in their life that don't work as well and it probably all balances out in the end. But what am I saying? For, for the most part, marriage is tough. Marriage is tough. I asked my wife uh, last week, I said, you know, I'm preaching on marriage next week. And I said, you know, I, I think it'd be good if I shared a funny story from our marriage, from our days together, from our 15 years. Maybe I'll tell them something funny, get them laughing, that would illustrate how marriage is tough. And my wife said, don't share any stories if you want to stay married. And so I decided I, I would not do that. So I'm doing the second best thing. There's a great uh, Christian comedian. I like this guy because he's sarcastic. I have a little bit of a sarcastic wit uh, about myself. But this guy's a little bit sarcastic, but he's a Christian comedian named Jeff Allen. And I want to show you guys a video so my marriage can be preserved and his is, uh, well, whatever. But anyway, I want to show you a video of the first fight that he had with his wife over a rotisserie chicken. Check this out. This is pretty funny. We need to get into silly ideas with your marriage. So we were, we were three months before we had our really first big blow-off fight. This was our first big was over a roasted chicken. Tiny little, greasy little bird about that day. I go home and take a nap. I didn't know any better. I really didn't. I learned early on, naps were a huge mistake in my life. God forbid I rested, really. It's so much harder to manipulate a well-rested, rational thinking human. People are so much more compliant when their eyeballs are burned out of their skull, you know. I have no idea. I, I don't know if it was her upbringing or not. People, when she was awake, you know. That's exactly what you said. That's not what I said. What I said was I'm going to 
than those little numbers. But they got married early. By the time my grandmother was 17 years old, my mom was on the way to being born. My grandfather was in Europe fighting at the end of World War II. And they grew up fast. And they became mature adult people at a very early age. They learned how to worship God. They learned how to raise a family. They learned how to take care of themselves. And I know we just had this sermon on generations a couple of weeks ago. And I don't want to go back into all that. But they started transforming early because they got married early. And now the wisdom of our culture is, oh, you got to delay it as long as you can so that you'll be ready for it. Number one, you're never ready for it. Number one, you're never really ready for it. Okay, because you, you don't know what you're getting into until you get into it as far as marriage goes. It's not going to be easy on you. But number two, it's good when this transformation starts early. Because when you've waited and you've waited and you've waited, then your personality has been formed, your ideas have been formed, your spiritual life has been largely formed. And one of the good things about marriage is it makes you stop caring so much about yourself, at least if it's done right. If it's done right, you stop caring, caring so much about yourself. As a man, you start to learn to care about your wife and your kids, and you start to focus on them, less on yourself, less on what you want. I mean, I grew up as an only child. When we got married, I remember it was one of the first days I was back at work. We got married, and I had the summer off because I was a teacher, and I went back to work, and I remember after work, I took off, and I went to, like, a couple of two or three of the places that I like to, to pick things up, shopping and everything, and I came home, my wife was like, where were you? And I said, well, you know, I was just going out. I wanted to go here. I wanted to go. Well, you didn't think you didn't tell me you were going somewhere after work? And I was like, oh, this is a foreign concept to me. I've always kind of just done what I wanted. But it was actually good because it gave me something to submit to. It gave me something, some boundaries. It gave me somebody else to think about. Marriage is good like that because it, it helps us not to be as selfish. And it helps us to grow up. So I wonder in our culture, and I said in the early service, there's going to be parents that go home and say, I don't care what that pastor says, I don't agree with him, I think you should wait to get married, blah, blah, blah. I'm still right and you're still wrong. Marriage is good, and, and the earlier you can get it done, and within reason, the better, because it helps you to transform, it helps you to grow up, it helps you to become an adult-like person. I know adulting is hard, but sometimes you got to do it. We are going to have to get there someday. So marriage is transformational. It makes us... More like Jesus. There was a book written several years ago, and the whole premise of the book, I'll save you from having to read it or having to buy it, the whole premise of the book was this. Maybe God has created marriage not so much to make us happy as to make us holy. That was profound, so let me say that again. Maybe God has created marriage not so much to make us happy as to make us holy. Marriage makes us better people. Marriage makes us grow up. Marriage done right makes us look more and more like Jesus Christ. And so it's transformational. And so that's one reason that it's good. A second reason that marriage is good is that marriage is foundational. Marriage is foundational. The Ephesians 5 section of scripture that we read points all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. God made man and woman to be together as man and wife. That was God's design. Y'all, I don't care if the culture says it for 1,500 years, that's still going to be God's design. He still designed it one man, one woman, one lifetime. That's the way he made it. That's the way he designed it. That's the way that it actually works. Thank you for amen that because that's a good place for it. Dennis Prager, I don't know how many of you know Dennis Prager, but he has a, a channel on YouTube called Prager U where he does kind of creative ways of teaching history and philosophy and all sorts of different things, but Dennis Prager is not a Christian. He is a conservative Jewish person, a conservative Jewish man. Um, but sometimes he, he actually will have events where he works together with Christian speakers like Robbie Zacharias and others, where he puts forward Judeo-Christian ideals against maybe what the culture is teaching. And Dennis Prager authored a very, very wise, very intelligent man. Uh, Dennis Prager authored an article in 2001 that argued Judeo-Christian ideal of marriage was what made Western civilization actually possible. And here's the way he explained it. Without getting into all the gory details, I actually had a mom come to me this morning and say, is this sermon going to be appropriate for kids? And I'm trying to keep it appropriate for kids. But without getting into all the gory details, men, uh, the male sex drive, when it is left unchecked, can be very damaging to people, families, cultures, 
civilizations, whatever. God placed a sex drive within men, which is not by itself a bad thing. Because if that did not exist, the species would probably not continue. So God placed that within men. It is a good thing. It is a positive thing when it has proper boundaries and when it is focused in the right direction. But for much of history, the male sex drive was not contained in any real and meaningful way. And so men spent most of their waking hours focused on their libido rather than on their families and on their cities and on their governments and other things like that. And so it, it caused havoc throughout many of the ancient civilizations. Read about ancient Greece. Read about ancient Rome. Read about some of the things that went on. It was one of the reasons that women ended up being treated not just as second-class citizens, but almost like slaves. Women were seen to be far down here. And it's only through Jesus Christ, it's only through the gospel, that women actually began to get rights and began to come up and, and be seen as uh, people who had full rights and all that sort of thing. I know that people throw off on that now and say it's the opposite, but that's simply not true. Jesus Christ is the one who actually exalted women and gave them rights and gave them place of privilege within society. But many times wives were abused and misused because of this, or women were abused and misused. A lot of times children had to grow up without fathers because of this. And so the ideal, the Judeo-Christian ideal of marriage, which basically said one man, one woman for one lifetime, you stay faithful, you stay committed, you stay monogamous, that idea actually created a building block. And that building block is the family unit. Mom, dad, children. That building block was the foundation. It was the center. It was the core of civilization. I mean, right now, look at this church. This church, and yes, we have individuals and we have singles within this church, but this church is built up of families. And if the families are strong, the church is strong. If the church is strong, the nation is strong. If the nation, this nation in particular is strong, the world is strong. But it all starts with that family unit. God designed that Judeo-Christian ideal of family, he designed a way that civilizations could be built up, countries could rise up, families could prosper, children could have a mom and dad, and I'm going to just let me riff on that just for a little bit this morning. Children needed, the ideal situation is for children to have a mom and a dad present within the home. That's the ideal situation. Now that is not, and please don't hear me downgrading <laughs> single moms or single parents who are doing an excellent job. I'm not doing that. Sometimes there's situations that just could not be helped. But the ideal situation is a mom and a dad raising children together. I provide things for my kids that my wife cannot provide. My wife provides things for my kids that I cannot provide. If my kids get out of line, yes, they respect their mom. And, and, and my wife is a pretty good disciplinarian, but you better bet it. She says, I'm about to tell you, Dad, it takes it to a whole new level. Whole new level. Sometimes my kids will say something to their mom, and I'll look at them, and especially my sons, I'll say, are you back talking to your mom? No, Dad, I'm not. Cuts it out right then because they know I will deal with it in a way that she will not deal with it. They need that. But at the same time, my wife nurtures my kids in a way there's no way I could. There's no way I could. You know, I'm going to be watching this football game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Chesterton said this. He 
said, never take down a fence until you know why it was put up. Never take down a fence until you know why it was put up. And I'm afraid that we're taking down fences and we don't know some of God's reasons for putting them up. So that was my second point on marriage. Let me give you one more. Marriage is inspirational. It's transformational. It's foundational. And it's also inspirational. And I don't just mean inspirational like an Instagram quote. That's not what I'm talking about. Inspirational, actually the word inspire, in means in, inspire means to breathe. So actually inspire means to breathe into. Marriage breathes life into people in a way that nothing else does. And please don't hear me this morning if you're a single person. I'm not downgrading you being single or saying you can't be a full person if you're single. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm trying to say is that marriage is special and marriage is good. And there are things found in marriage that you can't find in anywhere else on earth. In the Greek language, there are six types of love. I'm going to go through those. Stay with me because I know sometimes when people hear Greek, they're like, okay, I'm tuning out. Forget that. No, I'm tuning into this because it actually has a point. Six main types of love in the Greek language. One is phylos. It's a friendship love. It's a love between friends. How many of you have a friend, and this may not be everybody. I'm not sure I could say this. But how many of you have a friend that you would say has been a lifelong faithful friend that's always been there for you? Okay, probably maybe, maybe a third of you can say that. That's a real blessing. And that's a real legitimate love. You love that friend, that person's been faithful and loyal to you for a long time, maybe your entire life. That's rare. You should thank God for that friendship. But that's one type of love that's out there, Philo's love. Second one I have listed here is Eros, which is a sexual love. And as we just talked about, that can be a good thing in its proper place. God created that for good purposes, for the propagation of the species, to reflect the, uh, Jesus and the church. And so there's lots of good things that happen there within the right context. But that's a legitimate type of love. There's ludus, which is playful love. Like even this can be between friends or this can be between, you know, a romantic thing. People playing around with each other. Like you've seen somebody kind of pick at each other or whatever. That's ludus. That's playful love. Then there's agape. If you're in church, you should know what agape is, right? That's God's love. It's a special love. It puts love, even when we're unlovable, God loves us. It's a really, really special, powerful kind of love. There's philosophy, which is actually loving oneself. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. That there is a healthy love that you can have for yourself. And there's an unhealthy love that you can have for yourself. When you're arrogant and you think you're better than everybody, and like I said, you wake up in the morning and you kiss the mirror because you're so in love with yourself, that's unhealthy. That's going to lead to bad things. But when you respect yourself and say, I'm created in the image of God, God had, uh, there, there's an image of God in me, and so I'm important and I'm, a, and I'm a person who should be respected, and you respect yourself and you take care of yourself, that's a good thing. And that can be a healthy love. There's a pragma, which is a long-standing love, a love that lasts over the years. My mom and dad were here in the early service. They've now been married over 50 years. I got to grow up with a great example of two people who truly did love each other, truly did work very well together, and have loved each other for a long time, and have been happy with each other for a very long time. It was a great blessing to grow up seeing that day after day. And then the final type of love of these six main types of love is forge, which is family love. People who are related or maybe people who have been adopted into the family, but it's within the family unit. Storge is a love between family members, and that's special, and that's unique, and that's very good. I told you all that to tell you this. There's only one place on earth where you find all of those loves, and that's within marriage. Now, in eternity, we're going to have all those things found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. But on earth, there's only one place that we can find all of those loves, and that is within the context of marriage. Marriage fulfills you in a way that nothing else does. Marriage is just really special. It helps you grow. It helps you to change. My wife and I, we, like I said, we've been married 15 years. And I look back over those 15 years, and sometimes we'll look at old pictures like the one I put up here, and it seems like, sometimes it seems so long ago, and sometimes it seems like, it, you know, it was just yesterday. Where's the time going? But as we've gone through everything together, we've had highs, we've had lows, we've seen children born into our family, we, we lost a baby together that we'll get to know in heaven, uh, we, I, I've had sickness, we've had all sorts of battles and things that we put up with, we've had different career moves, we, we've lived in different places, we've had all these things, and because of all that 
nobody who has that special bond that I have that I have with my wife. Nobody can take that place. Nobody can fulfill that. Nobody has been there for all that. And that could only happen within the context of marriage. That could only happen within the context of God's design for marriage and his plan for family. And so it's really, really special. Marriage is a really special, it's a really good thing. And again, if you're single, I'm not saying that you're lesser because I believe that God truly calls some people to live a life of, of chaste singleness. And that's an amazing gift if that's a gift that God gives you and if that's something that he calls you to. But this morning I'm talking about how special marriage is and it's really a good thing. And I also want to leave you with this. Your marriage, no matter where you are in marriage, it is worth fighting for. Your marriage is worth fighting for. Maybe you're just starting out and you're newlyweds and just y'all just love everything about each other still right now. And you've not had your first fight over the rotisserie chicken yet. And, you know, everything is good. And maybe you're to that point. But, you know, maybe you're a little bit further down the road and some tough things have come into your life. Maybe some struggles have come into your life. Maybe maybe some disagreements have cropped up. And, and maybe there's pressures there. Maybe there's temptation there. I don't know what you're going through. But I do know that wherever you are on that whole scale of everything, your marriage is worth fighting for. I want to, can I be, I'm going to be really, really transparent with you guys. I, I try to be honest with you. I don't try to stand up here and pretend like my wife and I have had a perfect marriage and we've always had it together and we've never had any bumps in the road or anything like that. I'm not going to pretend. I'm going to try to be very honest with you this morning. A lot of times marriages, around about year seven, they call it a seven-year itch because you run into a place about that point in time uh, where things are happening within your life and you has worn off, all the excitement of everything being you is kind of worn off and maybe kids have come into the picture and you're not really financially settled yet and you're just, it's just a tough time about year seven. And I know about in my life, in my wife's life, in our marriage, about year seven and eight, we ran into a really, really rough patch. A lot of it was my fault, and I, I tell people it's hardly ever 100 to zero. Sometimes it might be 50-50 on fault, sometimes it might be 70-30, and sometimes it might be 60-40, but it's hardly ever just one person's fault. But a lot of it was my fault, but it wasn't an intentional thing. I was, I was studying, I had a call in the ministry. I think the third date my wife and I went out on when we started dating, I said, hey, look, I've got to tell you something. I'm called in the ministry. God has put a call on my life, and I'm going to be going to seminary, and I want, I want to lead a church one day because I believe that what is what God is leading me to. And, you know, if you want to come along with that, if you want to be part of that, you know, great. Uh, but that's going to be my life. And so you're going to have to decide if that's something you want or not. And my wife will tell you now, she said, I had no idea what I was getting into. But anyway, she said, yeah, that'll be fine, and, I, and I'll join in with that and, and, and be good with that. Uh, but anyway, as things started to unfold, I was teaching full-time. I had a teaching fellow scholarship that I had to get paid back. I started doing seminary twice a week, two nights a week, and it was four nights, uh, four hours each night. So I spent eight hours in seminary, two nights a week. And then I was getting home, and I had to read books for seminary, write papers for seminary. On Saturdays, I would spend most of the days on Saturday writing big papers for seminary. And so pretty much I was either working or doing seminary, and then... I was an assistant pastor here, but a little church out in Trinity called, and they needed help, and they wanted me to fill in for three weeks, and I ended, being, ended up being there for four and a half years. And so I was full-time teaching, seminary at night, and I was a part-time pastor. I was doing those three things. At the same time in our lives, two little boys had been born. Our sons had come into our life, and so my wife was left at home to deal with that. And then her mom and her grandmother both got sick and both ended up passing away. Actually, her grandmother passed away. Uh, her, her mom passed away before her grandmother passed away. But Julie wasn't the chief caretaker, but she was a care, caretaker for them. And so we had all of this stuff going on. And my wife felt abandoned. And really looking back out on it, she was abandoned. But I couldn't see it because I was so busy and I was so focused and I was so driven. And it's what God had called me to do. So if it's what God has called you to do, how do you not do it? You know, we had all this stuff going on. And so finally, my wife began to, to get resentful to me because I was not there for her. And I began to get resentful back at her because she was resentful at a time where all my energy was already drained. And I was like, why are you putting one more thing on me? Now you're mad at me. And so we started to have this whole big struggle. We really are just being very honest, very transparent to you. We got to the place where we didn't like each other. 
Y'all, we got to the place where we just we, we were fussing all the time, and no, we we never had a physical altercation or anything like that. That was never part of our marriage, but we would fuss and fight and yell as far as, as in a verbal sense, fussing at each other and, and not coming to any conclusion. And finally, we came to the point where my wife said to me, and I've never been sure if she was 100% serious or, or not, but I think she was leaning that way. Do you want to get something off your plate or do you want to have a divorce? And when she said that to me, something clicked and I thought, whoa, I have to do something here. So I remember we took our two sons and we took them up to my mom and dad's house and I said, can you watch our kids? We need to go out and we need to talk. And by the way, that was another problem. We never made time for each other. We never had a date night. We never got along with each other. We, we didn't do that stuff during that period because we were so busy. Drop the kids off. We went to a restaurant here in town and we found a corner booth and we just sat there and we talked. And pretty much we had to look each other eye to eye and I had to say, you know what, I'm sorry. I've messed up on some things. I have been neglecting you. I have been too driven. I have been too focused and you're having to do all this on your own and I'm sorry. I have to own that. And my wife looked back at me and said, you know what, I've been too hard on you. I, I, I've been too angry about this. I've been holding too much against you and she owned that. And we looked at each other and pretty much what we said was, Divorce is not an option for us. We will make this work. We will work through this and we will make this work. And I told you that to tell you this. If we had not had that night together, if we had not sat down and talked it out and worked it out and figured out a way to go forward, and I said, as soon as I can get some things off my plate, I'm going to get some things off my plate. And she agreed to, you know, be cool about things until I could get there. And if we had not worked all that out, I would not be standing here this morning as your pastor. I can guarantee you that. Our marriage would have been wrecked, my life would have been wrecked, my ministry would have been wrecked. The people that I, I have led to Christ through this ministry, the people that we've seen baptized, the pastors that we've seen sent out of here, that would have not happened because we didn't work it out. But God was good and we worked it out. And I won't say we have a perfect marriage. My wife is back there and she'll say, yeah, we don't have a perfect marriage because Brent, you're still part of it. But, uh, you know, it's not going to be perfect. But uh, we have a good marriage. We love each other. We've come through a lot of things. And I guess what I'm trying to say to you is there is hope. There is hope. No matter where you are, no matter how bleak it looks, no matter if you think you can make it or not make it, with Jesus Christ, all things are possible. And if you'll repent and if you'll apologize and if you'll own some things and if you'll agree to dig down and work it out and get counseling if you need to and whatever you need to do, you can make it work and your marriage can last and it can be a healthy marriage and it can be a good marriage in the power of Jesus Christ. We're going to end this way this morning. The worship team is going to sing a song, and we're not going to ask you to stand. And the words will be on the screen, but you don't have to. You don't have to sing along with this. I just want you to listen to the words of this song and just kind of let it wash over you this morning. And maybe it'll speak to you. Maybe if you're someplace in your marriage where it's tough, maybe God will have a word for you in this song. Love is not a fight, but it is something worth fighting for. Let's listen to this song by the worship team this morning.
Hey everybody, what is going on? It's Pastor Brent coming at you today. Hope everybody is having a good Tuesday. Hope you had a good Labor Day. Hey, I just wanted to invite you this Sunday. We are going to be starting a new series on marriage called Marriage That Works. It's going to be a three-part series at Rushwood Church. Hey, I hope you'll come by and check that out. Um, I think it might be a real blessing to you. Maybe if your marriage is struggling or maybe if your marriage is strong but you want it to get even stronger, we're going to be teaching you some biblical principles about how to make marriage work. Love for you to come by 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. Rushwood Church, 1810 Old Farmer Road. Come by and check it out. And hey, keep pounding. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.